0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. I wasn't sure what to do today. I'm like, Lord, I just finished up 2 Corinthians, and I was thinking about doing a topical study or something, but uh, then my son so graciously reminded me that i haven't taught through the whole bible yet at least the new testament and uh there's two books i have left to teach the whole new testament one is second peter and the other is jude and so uh lord willing we'll be able to finish up the new testament um this book right here will probably take about six weeks to get through but it's uh, i'm excited about second peter i mean it's written by none other than simon peter that apostle of the inner circle, so close to Jesus. I mean, he worked and he walked side by side with our Savior. He was an eyewitness to his majesty. We'll read that when we get to verse 16 of chapter 1. And so it excites me, you know, to study this letter um, because it was penned by this guy known as Peter. Tradition tells us that Peter was martyred in the year 68 AD. He was put to death crucified upside down, and so we believe he was uh, more than likely had written this letter somewhere between 64 and 68 AD. We're going to see as we go through the letter that it doesn't necessarily indicate to whom he wrote it to. We know they were believers. In chapter 3, Peter does mention that they had written, he had written to this recipients before, and so a lot of people assume that it's the same uh, letter, the same people that he wrote to the first time. In chapter one, verse one, in First Peter, it identifies them as the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. But the truth is, we're not really a hundred percent sure it's the same people. You know, it's interesting when you look and compare First Peter and Second Peter. First Peter dealt with problems coming from the outside; it was persecution. But Second Peter, we're going to see, deals with problems coming from the inside. When false teachers, they come in and they creep into the congregation. We're going to see as we go through this letter that Peter was a very protective pastor. And what he does in a caring way is he pushes the people to grow. He tells them, hey, it's time to grow up and to become mature believers. Because here's the thing, that if you're mature believers, you're going to be safeguarded against the false teachers according to chapter 1 verses 13 through 15 Peter felt that his time was short that he didn't know how much longer he would be alive and so he wanted to remind them again and then do his best to make sure that they didn't forget after he died and so he wrote them a letter you know in a nutshell the purpose of second Peter is to call Christians to spiritual growth To go forward so that they'd be ready to fight the false teachers. And we're going to see in chapter 3, be ready for the Lord's return. You see, and so I pray that for you guys. You know, some of you here, you're new believers. Some of you here have been walking with the Lord for a while. No matter where we are, aren't you guys excited about growing in Christ? I know I am. I, I need it so bad. I want it so bad. I want to go deep with the Lord. And so I think God is going to use this letter because we're in a battle. I mean, well, how would you describe your life? Just out of curiosity, is it more of a, a, a battleground or a playground? I think most of the world that we live in today, they see life as a playground. It's just all about maybe entertainment, me having fun. And, and you know what? We have fun. I, I pray that you do. I pray that you laugh. I pray that you have a sense of humor. But primarily it's not a playground. It's a battleground. See, it's a battle for our souls and the souls of our loved ones and the souls of our neighbors and our friends and our family who are watching us. We're supposed to be a witness to them. And if we are faithful ambassadors of Jesus Christ, then, you know, the Lord can even use our lives to pull them out of the fire. But we got to know that we're living in a battleground. You see, the lion was on the prowl, and people needed to be warned. Peter was a perfect man for the job. Warren Wersby said this if anybody in the early church knew the importance of being alert, it was the Apostle Peter. He had a tendency in his early years to be overconfident when danger was near and to overlook the master's warnings. He rushed ahead when he should have waited. He slept when he should have prayed. He talked when he should have listened. He was courageous, but he was also careless and immature. The Holy Spirit came into his life, and Peter grew up and became an awesome apostle of Christ, humble and blessed to study his letter. And so look look what we read here in verse 1. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have tamed like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He identifies himself as, as Simon Peter. Simon was the name given at birth, naturally, and Peter was the special name given to him by Christ in one sense, supernaturally. You know, Jesus called him, because Peter means rock, Jesus called him to be a rock. We read that in John 1, verse 42. Uh, in Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus would normally speak, it was Cephas, right? And in uh, in uh, Greek, it's Petros. In English, it's Peter, In Espanol, it's Pedro, right? I mean, we know all the different languages. And and what it means is that he was called to be a rock when he wasn't a rock. He was anything but. We knew him back then as impetuous Peter. But the Lord did a work. You know, and we all have that choice, whether to live with the old life or the new life, whether to be the Simon or the Peter, whether to be the natural or the supernatural. In one sense, we all have that. And it's kind of cool that Peter opens up this way, kind of remembering that, that I still have that ugly man inside of me. Lord, please help me not to let him rear his ugly head. You know, in one sense, we all have those natures. And the question I think so much of life consists of is which nature will we allow to dominate our life? You know, I don't know, Simon Peter and his name is followed by two titles. Right here he says he's a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, you read about the bondservant in Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 15. I encourage you to go back and to study out that beautiful story, how a bondservant is someone free to go free. And in one sense, we're like that. We come to America, we got religious liberty, we're free. And we live in a country... That is very free. And you are free. You are volitional creatures. You can do whatever you want. But the question is, what do we do with that freedom? A bond servant is someone free to go free, but rather than going out and doing their own thing, they choose a life of servanthood. In all reality, a bond servant is a slave. I have chosen to be a slave to my Savior. That's what a bond servant is. And that was Peter's primary title and task in life. He chose to be a bondservant and therefore God chose him to be an apostle. And I like what David Guzik said. He said the order of these titles is important. Peter considers himself first a bondservant and then an apostle. You see, his standing as a bondservant was more important to him than his status as an apostle and that's so important that's why you know we're offering classes and you know I know a class doesn't necessarily make it happen every time but it's important especially if you're a leader to be a servant and to make sure that you're not caught up in the title but you're most concerned with your relationship with Jesus Christ so Peter was a bond servant and then he was an apostle one that was sent out it's also pretty cool in looking at this to see the way this fisherman, who undoubtedly was a, a man's man, you know. I mean, you read the Bible and think about it. He, cu- he carried 153 fish by himself. I, I know that would be heavy. He, he was strong. But here he identifies the recipients of the letter as the believers that he was writing to as those who have obtained like precious faith. See that there in verse 1? To those who have obtained like precious faith. And I don't know. I I don't know how you guys feel about that, but that word precious, it's kind of like, unless you're thinking Lord of the Rings or something, but you know. Precious. You mean precious moments? Precious? Yeah, precious. (laughs) You know, I mean, the Lord had brought this big, strong, burly fisherman. A long way. After 30 years. Man, God had done such a beautiful work. As a matter of fact, one person wrote this. Peter must have liked the word precious, for he wrote about the precious faith. He wrote about the precious promises, the precious blood, and the precious stone, even the precious Savior. You see that in First Peter and. 2 Peter. So God, man, He did such a great work in Peter. He's a great man to teach us. These people were saved just like Peter. He says it's like faith. It's like precious faith. And the Bible says repeatedly that the just shall live by faith. You see, this is how they were saved. This is how they received their righteousness that he mentions right there. This is how they received salvation. It is by faith. You know, and, and just before we, you know, continue on here, I just want to encourage you guys to make sure you answer that question, the most important question of all. I mean, are are, are you, am I right in his sight? Righteousness is right in his sight. Am I right with God? Am I saved? You know, Jesus is identified here as a Savior, and And if you don't know him that way, I encourage you to place your faith in him today. The one who died on the cross was put in a grave, but he came back to life to give you life. Do you really believe in the blood? Do you really believe in him? That's how we're saved, not by works. You know, a lot of times we think, well, if I go to church enough, then I'll get saved. Or if I, you know, give to the poor, then I'll get saved or... If I help old ladies across the street or some type of sacrament. Here's the thing, if you trust in any of those things, you won't be saved. you got to trust only in the blood of Jesus. And that's how they were saved. That's how they received their righteousness. You know, one of the things about Peter you're going to find, he uses the title Savior uh, five times in this letter, and he is really blessed that he has that savior the one who saves us from the power of sin and the penalty of sin which is hell and so you got to make sure you put your faith in him Now i think it's also important to note here that in this particular passage jesus is identified not only as our savior but also as our god notice again there he says in verse one to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness, he says, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing about this. See, we read it in English, you know, it might go a couple of different ways, but it can't in the Greek language. In the Greek language here, uh, what we find is that it indicates that that Jesus is God, God and Savior are one person, not two. The reason being in the Greek, there's only one article, and then there's what are called um, two substantives. And so, when it refers to God right here, it points to the Savior, and it points to Jesus. Just in case, I know sometimes people wonder, is Jesus God? Oh yes, He is. We believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. We call it The Trinity, And so this is one of those passages that you just can't get around regarding Jesus' deity. And so right off the bat, we see a little bit about Peter, we see a little bit about people he's writing to, and we see a little bit about the amazing God who saved them. And then Peter offers a typical Greek and Hebrew greeting. He says there in verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You know, grace, uh, that would be the Gentile or Greek greeting. Uh, it's God's unmerited favor and earned and deserved goodness and blessings. Uh, some of you here today, God is blessing your life. I mean, all of us here today, God is blessing our life. Not that you deserve it, but it's because of his grace. God's reward at Christ's expense, right? Grace and peace. One translation, uh, Amplified Bible, says this. It says uh, that peace is a well-being, all good, spiritual prosperity, a freedom from fears, agitating passions, and moral conflicts. You know, and I just think it's cool that that's the way that they would greet each other. You know, I I pray that you have grace, man, that God bless your life. I pray that you have peace, uh, that God would give you that Peace that surpasses understanding. Not just a piece of peace, but a perfect peace. The peace that Jesus gives. Maybe you're here and you don't have that. Something's wrong. God's calling you to this. And of course, I think it's important to know that it has to be in this order. You can't have peace if you don't have grace. It starts with grace. And then when that grace is received, what you'll find is that you will experience the peace of God. Have you guys ever heard that saying or seen that poster or t-shirt or bumper sticker? Um, no Jesus, no peace. You guys ever seen that? But if you know Jesus, then you'll know peace. I promise you that. Maybe you're here today and you don't have that peace. It's because you haven't been entering into that relationship. You know, and this time of year, I'll tell you what, you guys. We're going to get caught up in shopping. I don't know if you guys enjoyed Black Friday. You got a black eye on Black Friday. I'm not sure how it went with you. But man, it's crazy. As we draw near to celebrate the birth of our Savior, isn't it crazy how the devil will do everything he can to keep us busy? But remember, B-U-S-Y, it stands being under Satan's yoke. Be careful. Man, we'll be careful. I encourage you make sure that you have time for the Lord. You know, one of the things the Lord's kind of laid on my heart on Thursday nights in the month of December is uh, on each Thursday night, we're going to go through a teaching on, on, on Christmas. And, and we'll have different guys from the congregation here, the pastors teaching. I haven't asked them yet, but I'm sure they'll say yes. And uh, I think it'll be cool really wanting to hone in on, on, on Jesus. If you know Jesus, you'll know peace. See but if you don't know Jesus if you say no to Jesus then you won't you don't you won't have peace you know he talks about this grace and peace it, to be multiplied and he even says how it happens there in verse 2 in the knowledge of God this is speaking of the father and the son and i and i know i need that grace and peace not just added to my life but but multiplied how does this happen well it happens by growing in the knowledge of the Lord. You know, just like I get to know you and some of you. I mean, you know, it's hard because you can't get to know everybody as much as you'd like to. But man, you can. You, if you want to, you know, you spend time with someone. You get to know them more and more. Same thing with God. We're, we're social creatures. We're created in His image. We're relational creatures. And so we can have this relationship with Him. And the, and the more that you know Him, um, the more that you'll, you'll experience things. The grace and peace. It really happens that way. We're going to see today two things. We're going to see the foundation and then the addition. The foundation is getting saved. But then the addition is growing. And that's what we need in our life. You know, to know the Lord is how it all starts. But it doesn't end there with just, you know, meeting him initially with the introduction here. Manny, this is Jesus. Jesus is Manny. Oh, it's a blessing to meet you. Thank you for saving me. It doesn't end there. You know, when when they, it was kind of cool. When Peter, I mean, when John the Baptist said, this is the, the Lamb of God, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, what do the disciples do? They went after him. Lord, where are you staying? Can I spend time with you? Well, that's how it should be with us. When we get to meet the Lord, you go after him. Lord, I want to get to know you more. I want to know you. And when that happens, the grace and the peace, they begin to multiply in your life and you get to know the lord you know this word right here is a beautiful word to 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 know the lord it speaks of a precise and correct knowledge the greek word translated knowledge here doesn't refer to a casual acquaintance it means an exact complete and thorough knowledge and peter emphasizes this in the letter nine times he speaks of knowing god or the knowledge of god five times in our study today And so how blessed our life will be when we really get to know the Lord, all He's done, all He is. Notice there in verse 3, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through, here it is again, the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. His divine power, you know, Jesus possesses that divine power and he has provided this for us with all that we need. You know, it's important for us to know that every Christian has been blessed with God's power and with everything that's pertinent, that pertains to life and godliness. Again, Warren Wisby said this, when you're born into the family of God by faith in Christ, you are born complete. God gives you everything you will ever need for life and godliness. Just as a normal baby is born with all the equipment he needs for life and only needs to grow, so the Christian has all that is needed and only needs to grow. And so you have to ask yourself, am I growing? Uh, Another emphasis in our teaching today is going to be that, you know, if you have life, you will grow. You know, we got some plants over here. I don't know if you guys ever noticed them. We probably don't, huh? But have you ever noticed they're not growing? Because they're not alive. If they're alive, they'll grow. If you're alive, you'll grow. If you're alive, you'll change. You see, and that's what God wants for us. There's a Chinese proverb that says, Be not afraid of growing slowly. Be afraid only of standing still. You know, Peter says here, as divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. In verse 4, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know, when we become God's people, we were given some pretty amazing promises uh, uh, throughout the scriptures. Uh, Peter calls them great. Think about that. Great and precious promises. As we believe and receive and lay hold of those promises, we then become partakers of the divine nature. And that's, to me, amazing. It happened, first of all, at salvation. You know, God says, I promise you, I promise you this, that if you would be willing to repent and receive me as your Lord and Savior, I will save you. And so we said, okay, I, I will, I do. And God saved us. He kept his promise. But it starts there. It doesn't end there. There's still so many promises to lay hold of. You know, what? it happened as salvation. It, it continues in sanctification Notice right here he says that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Uh, Other translations use the word participants, you know. Um, We've been given the divine nature, but a lot of times we don't put that into practice. What ends up happening is when you lay hold of the promises of God, then you begin to put things into practice. Uh, Your life begins to change. It will be visible because that divine nature is now within the spiritual genes of who we are. It's our genetic makeup now, so to speak. You know, I mean, how many of you here, when you get older like me, you got to go to the doctors and the doctor says, well, is there any, anyone in your family that's had cancer? You know, whatever, diabetes, uh, high blood pressure. I went in, doctors asking me questions like that. Have you you guys ever do that? You guys know what I'm talking about? Because they're trying to find out if it's in you. They're trying to find out if it's in your genes. Because if it is, then you're vulnerable. You're susceptible to those things. Well, here's the thing. The nature of God is in you. That nature, that genetic makeup. Not that you're God or you're little God's. But that the nature of God is within us to work on our behalf. You know, and we see that, you know, of course, physically. Um, we see the, the natures. I remember uh, Abraham and Isaac. Remember Abraham? He did his thing, and, and it's kind of weird. You know, he lied about his wife. Next thing you know, Isaac does the same thing. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, huh? It's just the genetic makeup, it's the example that he was shown. For us, you know, we need to take that to that God is my Father. I have His spiritual genes within me. We're going to see later, godliness should be the way I'm described. And we need to consider the divine nature. He uses that word nature at work in us. Again, not to sound weird or anything, but I want to encourage you to know this and to nurture that nature within you. One person said, nature determines appetite. The pig wants slop. The dog wants its own vomit. But the sheep desires green pastures. It's all based on nature, right? Nature determines behavior. An eagle flies, right? The dolphin swims. Nature determines appetite, behavior, Nature determines environment, right? The squirrels climb trees. I love to watch them do that. The moles, they burrow holes underground, and the trout swims in the water. Why? Because nature determines those things. Nature determines association. Lions travel in prides, sheep so sheep's in flock, fish in schools. And so if nature determines appetite, and we have God's nature within, then we ought to have an appetite for the things of God, the things that are pure and holy. Our behavior ought to be like that of the Father. We ought to live in the kind of spiritual environment that's suited to our nature now. We ought to associate with that which is true to our nature. You see, the only normal fruit-bearing life for the child of God is a godly life. You know, beware you guys of uh, mother nature In this fallen world, Peter writes of it here at the end of verse 4. Notice he says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I mean, do you ever ponder the fact that you have escaped the world? We have escaped this matrix, this system that's rotten, corrupt. How did that world get that way? Through lust and evil desires. But Jesus set us free, right? Jesus Christ, he he brought us out. He bought us out. He redeemed us, right? We are the church, the the church ecclesia, and means called out, a group of gathering of people who have been called out. Called out of what? Called out of the world. Just as the Jews were called out of Egypt, they were rescued and redeemed physically, miraculously. You and I have experienced the same thing spiritually. But, you know, another similarity that the Jews had that oftentimes we have is when they got called out, they wanted to go back. And we had to be so careful. They longed to return to Egypt. Some of them did, the Bible says, in their hearts. In Acts chapter 7, verse 39, we sometimes have that restless heart, huh? To do the same, to go back to the world and the ways of the world. You know, that confusion and chaos and corruption. Peter's going to deal with that in this letter especially. He does talk about a dog going back to its own vomit. Have you guys ever seen a dog eat its own vomit? That's gross. Don't be that way, okay? Oswald Chambers said, Measure your growth in grace by your sensitiveness. Sin, And I would say this, not sin in everybody else. I mean, yeah, there's a part of that. You get grieved, but I would say especially your own sin. That's somebody who's growing. You know, it's a battle. We live in a world that wants to suck us in and conform us into the image of the world. And so we have to fight, man, to go against that flow, even against the grain of our own fallen natures. But we need to know that we can. We can win this fight because we also have the nature of God within us. And so we have to be diligent disciples. And so, you know, the first thing is that foundation by faith. And let me just give to you guys uh, uh, five things on this foundation. You know, this foundation of, of faith. Number Letter A, or number one, the grace of God. Right? We gave him that grace of God. Number two, the righteousness of God. Think about that. The righteousness of Christ imputed to my account, just as if I never sinned. Number three, the peace of God. Peter's talked about these things through our study already. By faith, we have the grace of God, the righteousness of God, the peace of God, and then next, the knowledge of God. What a blessing I can get to know Him and to know Him well. And then the final thing is the nature of God. These are all truths that we can hold on to. I mean, you can even add to that the promises of God. What a blessed people we are, right? But just because we have that foundation doesn't mean we can kick back. Now what we do need to do is to add to that foundation. So we read in verse 5, he says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, and that means to make every effort, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. I mean, the goal there in, in verse 8, what we see here is that these things would not only be present, but that they would abound, right? Make every effort that that these things would abound in our life, that we wouldn't be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. You know, some may feel good that these qualities are seen in us from time to time, but Peter says, no, they should abound in us. You know, John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, right? That's the agenda of our adversary. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. See, it's the abundant life, the abounding life that God wants us to have. We need to, however, give all diligence. We need to make every effort to add to our faith these things. We are partakers of the divine nature, but once we're made spiritual sons and daughters, growth in the Christian life doesn't just happen. It's not just going to happen, you guys. We're supposed to give all diligence to our walk with the Lord. As a matter of fact, I thank God you guys are here on Sunday morning. You know, some of you here, you're like, well, I got to do it. Uh, You know what? Hopefully one day that thought will change. And you're like, I get to do it. I want to go on Sunday morning. I want to hear the word. I want to give. I want to receive. I want to worship. I want to praise. I want to fellowship. I want to find out how I can help people. And I want to grow. As a result of going to service. And it could be a Sunday morning. Tonight, Sunday night, we're actually going to go over this text again. And we're going to go deeper, talk about it. I mean, maybe the Lord will call you back on a Sunday night, Thursday night, Wednesday night. I mean, there's just so many opportunities. We have to make every effort to grow. You see, we shouldn't settle with just that foundation, with only, you know, salvation, right? We should battle for sanctification. I mean, it's a blessing that we're God's children. We're kids of the King, but we need to grow up. We need to rise up and in a sense, you know, we need to climb up. A lot of people will tell you about this section of scripture right here that this is called the ladder of virtues. And you guys, some of you here, you go on a ladder all the time, huh? You know what it is, going step by step up that ladder. Some of you here, yeah, I've been on a ladder in a long time. And that's okay, I think you still know what I'm talking about. A ladder of virtues that we climb up. Peter mentioned seven things, seven character traits here in verses 5 through 7 and that, that he wants us to add to our faith. And so, you know, just, just look at these. We'll just pause and ponder them just for a moment. Are these abounding in your life? I mean, are you a quality Christian? Number one, virtue. He says to add to your faith, Virtue. The word right here it speaks of a, a moral excellence, a behavior showing high moral standards. But but here's the thing. Uh, the first quality here is, is virtue. It, it, it basically means excellence. But here's the thing. The Greek philosophers uh saw it as the fulfillment of something, right? I mean, when anything fulfills its purpose, it was called virtuous in Greek thinking. And so Warren Wiersbe said this, the land that produces crops is excellent because it's fulfilling its purpose. The tool that works correctly is excellent because it's doing what that tool is supposed to do. A Christian is supposed to glorify God because he has God's nature within. So when he does this, he shows excellence because he's fulfilling his purpose in life. True virtue in the Christian life is not polishing human qualities, no matter how fine they may be, but it's producing divine qualities that show us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Do you have that purpose? Do you have that excellence in what you're called to do, generally speaking, glorifying God, but within your life, the details that he's given to us? Second thing he mentions is knowledge. Are you growing in virtue? Is it abounding? How about knowledge? It's a deeper, more perfect, and enlarged knowledge of God. You know, Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. A lot of people want the power of the resurrection. Man, wouldn't it be cool to do miracles, to walk on water, to move mountains? I mean, the power of the resurrection, but they don't want to die. You're not going to experience the power of the resurrection unless you first die to yourself. See, and then when you die to yourself, it's so cool. Paul says that I may, that I may know him. That's what Jesus was all about when you get to know him it's so cool because man you experience the same things you know the third thing he mentioned right here is self-control self-control of course we know this is a fruit of the spirit the ability to control oneself um, one's emotions impulses desires especially in difficult situations and so i threw out the word virtue out there and some of you're like well that's kind of ambiguous i don't know how to put my finger on that you know, I might throw out the word um, knowledge, and you're like, well, I don't know. Is it, you know, relatively speaking, maybe I know more than the rest of the world. But self control. How are you doing in self control? A lot of you here, you, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, okay, not doing good on that one. Self control, that one, I, I see it like every day. You need to grow up. You can't control your tongue. And you just keep talking. What's wrong with you? Right? I mean, we can't control. Sometimes it's our our sexual appetites. We can't control our eyes. We can't control our minds. I mean, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And and Peter says, this is is so important. If you don't have self-control, you're in big trouble. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, 28, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. There is no protection in your life from the devil because you don't have self-control. And not only that, when the walls of the city are broken down, it's a, it's a reproach to the name of Jesus Christ, the name that you bear. What a shame that you don't have self-control. It's very important, we're to work on these things. You know, During his term, uh, one of our presidents was uh, somewhat overweight. I won't tell you who it is because you guys get all political on me, right? And one day his wife challenged him with this blunt assertion. She said, you can't run the country if you can't run yourself. So respecting his wife's observation, the president went on to lose 23 pounds And he became a a good president. Self-control. And of course we know there are things much more important than the consumption of food that we need to look to when it comes to self-control. I tell you, one thing that comes to mind is anger. Anger definitely comes to mind because some of you guys here, you're hotheads. You have a hot temper and you blame it on your Latin blood. Stop it. Right? Uh, remember, uh, un- ungodly anger it can get the best of you. I always tell people, all you need to do is put one letter in front of the word anger and you have the word danger. And what ends up happening? You're, just, you're driving the freeway and someone cuts you off. What do you do? You get all mad. And then you become a dangerous driver, right? The Bible says this, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And so we need to add to our faith, virtue, and knowledge, and self-control. And then to self-control, he mentions perseverance. And that's just being steadfast in doing something, despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. I look back on my life, the things that I regret the most are the things that I started and didn't finish. I mean, it could be a sport that you were involved in, a book that you read, it could be a marriage a ministry. I mean the devil first thing oh yeah go if if you know don't get involved but when you do get involved take yourself out. You know, we need perseverance. Interesting thing is Greek scholars tell us that the word translated self-control here it usually has a sexual connection or connotation. We need that sexual self-control. And, and therefore this self-control has to do more with life's pleasures. Well, perseverance has more to do with life's problems. And so we need to work to possess perseverance. We can't quit, we can't split, don't be rankers, right? And of course, um, these two are related because oftentimes, here's the thing, the one that gives in to temptation is the same one that gives up in frustration. And we need to build these things by the grace of God. You know, uh, allow me to encourage you today, you guys, no matter you know, what you're going through. And I know it gets so hard. God is, is with you. God is in complete control. He doesn't author those things, but he allows those things for good. Don't give up. Don't go away. Don't walk from away from God or your marriage or your ministry. Don't lose heart. You know, I mean, I told you one of my greatest regrets was when I was getting involved in drugs and I stopped wrestling. What a terrible mistake. And then, you know, I remember when I met my wife. and I've, She wasn't my wife at first. She was my girlfriend. And, you know, we were, I loved her. And she really loved me a lot. And, um, but we had some hard times. And we were that close to giving up. But then you know what happened? Jesus Christ came into our life. I mean, he really came in. And I think what would have happened if I had given up on that relationship? I can't even begin to imagine. I mean, we do have our hard times, but God has us together. You know, some people think, well, life is supposed to be perfect because I'm a Christian now. No. (laughs) The promised land always lies on the other side of a wilderness. Don't forget that. And God promises to be with you. And remember, God's promises are like stars. The darker the night, the brighter they shine. And so we need to add to our faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. And, and this word right here is a is a respectful person, a reverential person. There's a good piety, you know, there's a good similarity to Jesus like God in his communicable attributes. And I mean, we can't be omnipresent, but we can be loving, it's when we're like the Lord. And then he mentions brotherly kindness right here. Uh, the Greek word is Philadelphia. And this is the Christian kind of quality where you're friendly, you're generous, you're considerate. It's a brotherly love. It's a virtue that Peter must have acquired a little later in life. Because in the beginning, they were always... You know, arguing, who's the greatest? That's not Philadelphia. When you get Philadelphia, you esteem others better than yourself. The last thing he mentions is love. And you know, for us, there's more to Christian growth than brotherly love. We must also have the sacrificial love of our Lord displayed when he went to the cross. It's the kind of love spoken of here in Second Peter chapter 2 um, chapter 1, verse 7 that is known as agape love. You know, when we have the brotherly love, here's the thing. I don't know if you guys can relate to me on this. But how many of you people, you just love being around people who are like you? You know, they just, oh, I like the same music. I like, you know, just certain things. Uh, you know, that's brotherly love. There's a certain kindness there. But agape love is, is loving those who are different than you. Can you do that? You know, and that's what we need. We need both. Oh, Lord, but they're so difficult. This person, I don't think you know them. I know them. <laughs> and, and the, and the Lord is saying, well, I'm just testing to see if your love is real or not. You know, we need to build on these truths. It's vital that we add these qualities to our faith You know, I mean, it's kind of like having a bucket list. Some people, you know, before I die, I want to do this, you know, whatever. For us, it's before I die, I want to be this. You know, you can visualize the effort that's required on our part. It's not going to happen unless we do the addition, unless we do the submission. And God will do that work in in our life. Notice here, and let's close real quick in verse 9 through 11. For he lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, if these things aren't present in your life, Peter says here, you got a couple of things, man. Number one, you got bad eyes. And number two, you got a bad brain. <laughs> you know, you can't see that you've been cleansed from your sins and you can't remember it either, you know? And we need both. You guys, we need to be able to see that. We need to be able to remember that. Man, my past has been washed away. Are you grateful for that? Your whole life should be an attitude of gratitude that your sins are forgiven, man. That should inspire us, spur us on to a life of sanctification. You know, not only that, but my past is not good. I mean, don't you remember that? I mean, what good did you have when you were getting drunk all the time and having hangovers, messing up your body, doing drugs? I mean, you know, you got to remember that you were cleansed from those old sins. Be grateful, and whatever you do, never go back. We forget so much. You know, we, on the other hand, need to be more diligent, he says in verse 10, to make sure that we're Christians. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. I mean, here today, seriously, you know, are you sure that you're saved? You know, again, we close with that encouragement to be to be diligent. To be obedient, to go forward, uh, to grow forward, so to speak, man. and, And never go backward. Never come to a place in your life where you have to wonder whether or not you still know the Lord or not. You know, no one will wonder if they have the life, if they're living the life, you see. And my profession, it's not a profession of faith that guarantees we're saved. It's our progression of faith that assures us of salvation. Because like I told you before, if you're alive, you grow. If you're a dead plant, you won't. You might still come to church, but you won't go to heaven. There has to be a hunger to go forward. There has to be a desire for the things of God. And, and so we do this. Peter tells us if we do this, we'll, we won't stumble. And we're going to have this great entrance applied to us into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, the Greeks, they use this phrase to describe the welcome given to Olympic winners when they returned home. I mean, you guys know how it is, huh? I mean, even recently, uh, I forgot what team it was that won. Um, I think it was the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, they won the World Series. Huh? And, you know, they go home, and you guys know, I mean, there's this a grip of people there welcoming them, Right? That's what's going to happen to us if we live this life one day when we go home. And we're not talking like slivering in by the skin of your teeth. 1 Corinthians does talk about being saved by the fire. You kind of squeak by. We don't want that. What we want is this abundant entrance, the double doors. And the Lord just says, man, well done, good and faithful servant. He says, enter into the joy of of your lord let's pray father we thank you so much for loving us and i pray lord that we would have a foundation that lord everyone here would really know you by faith and that we would then begin the addition lord i pray that we would make every effort to to climb that ladder so to speak and to to put that block on top of another block and Father God, to just examine our life and to have these characteristics that would just be pleasing to you. Lord, I just love you and thank you so much that you love us. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will work in every heart here. Thank you for your sons and daughters. Thank you for being our Father. We're excited, Lord, about Christmas season and and the new year and the amazing things, Lord, that you have for us, help us, Lord, uh, to enter in, help us, Lord, to lay hold on these promises I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at aircode 626 454 3414 Remember that Jesus loves you